Welcome to Mortality and Me. This is the episode with Denise Wilton. I'm Hilary Steele, your host. And let's not waste any further time. Let's meet Denise Wilton, who is an actress and a writer. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining. Thanks for coming to be part of the conversation that uh, is one of those conversations that people are scared to have. So let's get in there then. We're here to talk about that subject that people absolutely hate talking about, death and dying. What's your first yeah. impression when I say to you, let's talk about death? Um, it's it, it's awful because I've always had a phobia about death. So it's something that's kept me awake as a child. Um, so it's it's not something that I generally talk about in any depth. So this will be okay. interesting today. <laughs> okay, so what was your first experience with death or something or someone um, dying? I was, I was actually quite old in regards to... Um, a member of the family dying so I think I was probably about 15 when my grandfather died but I was about um four or five when my first pet um hamster called Pebbles died so that's that's my first sort of memory of death um but my my grandmother um committed suicide when I was very young and I have a feeling that maybe there were discussions with my mum and my dad possibly um secretly that I picked up on because definitely I have a fear of death. It would be something that would keep me awake at night as a child. So there must have been something there that prompted my fear of death because I didn't really have that much of an experience with it as a child. Okay. Did you ever have you ever tried to talk about that, work out what it might have been? Or no, today's no. the first time that I've mentioned that. <laughs> So just to let you know that if when we finish this live stream and uh, podcast, if you do have an issue, you've got my phone number and we can carry on the conversation. Thank you, Hilary. I I mean, it it is one of those things and it is a conversation that we we are scared to talk about. And I myself was absolutely petrified of death until I held someone's hand while they were dying. And Mm. I personally thought it was going to be horrific. And it was actually probably one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened in a very, very strange way. Um. Have you ever been with anyone as they've passed away? Yes, um, my mum. So I was um, I was with her in very early hours of the morning. Um, it's about half past two, um, and I was called out in the night to be to be with her. So I was actually talking to her, and for months I'd been running through this process. In because obviously with acting we have different techniques that we talk about to take you somewhere else. So I was using these techniques with my mum to try and get her to relax and think of other places. Um, And I've been doing that, as I say, for like months with her. So I was talking about her walking through fields and being in nature and recognising family members and pets that she'd had. And and that's what I was doing when she died. Um, So I I felt that I, I was there for her in a moment, but giving her some peace, I hope um as she passed away so yes I have I have experienced it. Last before you use these techniques with your mum were you aware mm. that apparently hearing is the last thing that a person loses as they're dying? Yeah I was aware of that and um and obviously my mum was very poorly she'd been um terminally well I'd spent sort of 10 months expecting her to die every single day um so She'd been in and out almost in in a coma for a few weeks and not responsive at all. Um, So I carried on talking to her um, through that process because I know, I think when you love someone, you know the things that will give them um, a sense of peace in themselves. And I hope that that's 
that was working for her. How did you, how did you come about with that though? How, what made you think that you know to go back to those wonderful memories and things that she really would have enjoyed? Um, I think I'm quite an empathetic person anyway. So with most people, I try to think of how I would feel if I were in their situation and things that would would help me. Um, so I think for that, it was about how can I transport her out of this um, this tiny room in a nursing home um, where she quite clearly was in pain. And I just tried to, to think of ways to take her somewhere else, um, a nicer place to be. And that's that's really why oh, I was doing that. It's lovely that 10 months is, is a long time to yeah. Yeah. deal with any it day. It was horrendous. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. No, taking quite a toll on you. Yeah, it's um, it's probably the only time in my life where I've literally been at breaking point myself. Um, it was a really stressful time for me anyway because at, at that time I wasn't um, a professional actress full time. I was managing a company, um, and I had um, two members of staff defrauding the company. So I had the fraud squad involved with an investigation at the same time that I was spending um, four to five hours with my mum in the nursing home. So it was, the stress was immense. Um, but the worst thing was that, like I say, I'd spent a very long time expecting every single day to be her last. She'd gone into a hospice at the start of that journey. Um, and my mum's quite a resilient person. So she she carried on through. And um, they said, we can't keep her here. You know, she's it's not good for her mentally everyone's sort of dying around her and then she got moved into a nursing home so it was trying to to make every day for her the best day that she had on this planet we just didn't expect it to last so long which sounds awful sounds really selfish no no I understand I think many people will understand that that side of things when they've been involved with end-of-life care with with elderly relatives yeah, it's tough. And the support isn't always there as you think it will be. I mean, I, I think I assumed that um, sort of Macmillan nurses and people like that would really help you day to day through it. They're not. You just have to get on and cope with it. And um, and even at the end, my mum died. She hadn't been seen by a doctor in um, within two weeks. So then there was the agony of whether she needed to have a postmortem done. And it, and it was you know, there was a lot that I questioned about the system and how you're supported as someone trying to care um, for someone in your life who's dying. And it was particularly difficult because my mum didn't want to face the fact that she was dying. So she was in complete denial as well in all that time. So it was really, really challenging, a really tough time for me. You mentioned your mum being resilient. I have a funny feeling that might be like mother, like daughter. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> a sense of resilience. Uh, you brought up something very interesting there about um, not understanding, not realising that the support wouldn't be there. I, yeah. I understand that completely. I was um, referred to hospice in the home when my father was dying at home and um, he wanted to be at home and I was going to keep him here. And I then got a phone call from the hospice about a week after he died uh, asking, <laughs> you know, to, to start hospice yeah. in the home care. And when I said, I'm sorry, he passed away. When did he pass away? Last week. Okay, thanks. Bye. I was so yeah. shocked. I would never have expected that kind of that kind of response. Yeah. But yes, I, I do understand that you, you, you have an expectation. But you mentioned another point as well that I think people are unaware of, that someone who's dying does have to have seen a doctor within two weeks prior to mm. the passing. Otherwise, it does pick up a lot of 
a lot yeah. of uh, problems potentially. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we're, we'll be speaking about in uh, leading up to someone dying on a future show. But I remember myself thinking, the doctor came around and said, well, it's okay because I've been here within two weeks. And I was like, yeah. what does that mean? You know, I, I had no clue. I was given a booklet by a district nurse, palliative care. And I yeah. looked at it, I must admit, in my arrogance, I chucked it on the side and didn't think about it. However, there was some interesting information in there. You just can't take it in. I, I read a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm someone that will try and find out all of the information. So I had read everything. I was anticipating all of these signs that my mum might show that she was nearing the end. You know, you hear about sort of like the rattling and the chest, death rattle and that sort of stuff. So, um, And also in terms of medication. So I think people assume that, um, you know, someone who's on the higher doses of morphine are getting towards the end because their pain threshold is at a state that they want to let go. My mum was um, the complete opposite to that. She she wanted to be aware of life and what was going on around her, which was actually very difficult for us as carers because she was in so much pain. She kept her morphine levels very, very low, um, which meant that she wasn't sleeping as much as other people, that possibly having a higher dose would sort of go into a bit of a um, a comatose state. And and that was really that was really hard to watch. She, you know, everything was such an effort and it was she was in a lot of pain because of that. But that was her choice in order to live the best life that she wanted to in those final months. But that's quite hard as a carer because there is that selfish side of you that says, just let go. And I actually remember saying to my mum like in final weeks, just let go. You what are you what are you waiting for? What are you holding on for? Um but for her it was the tiny, tiny moments, you know, it was seeing a bird fly to a window, it was seeing flowers grow. And I think I saw life. So I think I still have this phobia of what happens to me when I die, but in regards to how I live my life now, I'm very, very aware of every tiny little thing that brings joy. And I think a lot of people they don't generally have that. And I think when they've cared for someone who's dying, they they see life in a different way. So it's not just about death. It's about actually living. That's really well phrased. And I think I, I'm with you on that one, definitely. Um, I think I experienced death first hand, first hand not my own death. Yeah. Um, I have, my world has changed. And the way I yeah. see things and the way I respond to things has changed. Um, there's definitely a calmness, a calmer kind of side to my chaotic life which is has been brought about by it sounds like embracing every moment is too forceful but just I think being aware of, of where you're at in every situation and we currently are living in a very strange situation yeah um, in the middle of COVID-19 lockdown which is bringing up other problems for people maybe not being able to share those moments with their relatives and not being able to be yeah. with them in nursing homes in the end of life and I think the grief side of, of getting to come into terms with that in the future for these people is going to be have to be addressed. They're going to have to address it because they haven't been able to be part of that natural end of life process. Of course, there'll be a huge amount of guilt as well, won't there? You know, not being there with them and worrying about how they were in those final moments. You know, we've both we've both been there. I know that my mum was in a peaceful place when she went. Not everyone can say that. And as you say now, it's even harder for people. They don't know how, how they were towards the end. That's um, very sad. Um, I've been we're working with a lot of families lately um, and delivering funeral ceremonies. And I am finding it quite 
touching and heart-wrenching that, you know, sons weren't able to be with their mum who's in a coma yeah. for three weeks. And it is, and it just makes me personally appreciate what I have every day and what I've learned from the experience. And I just hope that some of that I can energy, positive energy I can, yeah. I can pass on. So back to you, though. What <laughs> is it exactly do you think that scares you so much about it? Um, I think when when I think about death, I literally think of it as though like someone has just flicked the switch on me and that's it. I'm I'm done. I'm gone. There's nothing more. Um, and, you know, I guess it ties into um, beliefs. And I sort of struggle with that as well. Do I? I'm, I'm not really of any particular religious belief. I would like to believe that there is more to life um, than just just being here but if it's not I think that's the question the question is if there isn't more beyond this life you've got to live this life the best that you possibly can and then that gives a sense of urgency about everything that you're doing um, and you want to experience everything and I want to be you know madly in love I want to find my soulmate I want all of these things it adds pressure onto me when I think about death because I think if I went today what would I have missed what haven't I done? Um, and so I think that's what scares me. Um, yeah, I can't really oh, explain right. it. <laughs> So we're basically saying it's fear of missing out. You're FOMOing about what you might miss. But it's like life is everything that we know, isn't it? Life is we get up, we breathe. We uh, I love life. I love, you know, my days. I love noticing things. I can't imagine not existing anymore. That's... To me, it's just, I can't, I think, yeah, it makes me actually feel physically cold inside to even think about it. It's a real, it's the only time that I get panicky when I think that that might be it. So are you thinking perhaps about your own legacy, though? You'll be leaving a legacy. There's acting footage, there's recorded footage of you that will live on way beyond when your when your light switch is, is turned off. I don't know. Does it, though? I think we're in quite a transient life where, I mean, obviously I have a daughter. So, yes, she she will live on. Um, but if you think about social media, you can be the most popular person on there. You can have lots of followers. Um, but people don't notice if if you're not on there for a week or two. They don't really care. People move on. That's and that's <laughs> what life is. That's what life is about. That It keeps going. And when people put that announcement, I'm back, I've had a week off, and everyone goes, oh, where have you been, hun? <laughs> yeah, I've done it. I've, I've been missing for a while. I know what, there's not a sausage on there. And yet, if, if you go on, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, we'd miss you. And actually, the, the truth is that people might give you a fleeting moment where they remember you. But it is just fleeting. And I think life is fleeting. And actually, our... Our place on this earth is so small. You know, we're, we're little ants, really, aren't we? So I think in the grand scheme of things, we live our life feeling full of importance and hope, and it's everything to us. But really, when we're so tiny, and I think trying to comprehend all of that is really difficult for my little brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're naturally a very positive person, and yeah, on yeah. social media, you're very motivating to other people. You start conversations and engaging conversations that boost people where would you go if you were having a bit of a meh day would you go on social media or would it be a private moment mm, you no I, I I 
tend to I think because so many people look to me to for to be positive and and actually to be strong um people find it it's more disconcerting for them if I actually publicly say I'm I'm feeling a bit down or I'm struggling with this um people want to see that positive side so for me I think especially if um if I'm really in a slump I just I just take myself off for a day you know I'm more likely to just get under a duvet and and just allow myself to feel bad um I'm quite good I've had I'm quite a tough cookie I've had a fair few things happening in my life um I know that ultimately your your mental health is up to you you know you make the decisions as to whether you're going to pull yourself through it's your self talk that tells you whether you're worth it or not um so I'm more likely to go through that have my tough day and then come out the other side and talk to friends and say you know I've been feeling really really naff recently and this is what I've been struggling with and at that point I can talk about it but I think when people are in pain and it hurts sometimes you just have to feel that pain and hurt um and then pick yourself up and and move on it's a very similar kind of um way I've heard the, the impact of grief described that to let it go to let it show itself let it demonstrate because it comes in forms that we might not be familiar with we don't know when it's yeah. coming it can hit and it's to run with it and and I found it very interesting what you said about once you've kind of sorted yourself out and understand where you're at it's then easier to talk to people and yeah. then you do talk to people but in that talking to people you're probably helping still helping other people with their own issues that they might be keeping back so there's kind of a, a silent knock-on effect of help that's going on by people being able to talk about things, not just grief and death and dying, but anything that, that's important yeah. to them, that impacts them, that affects them. But I think it's easier for um, people to just, um, the, the, you know, we've got we've got a culture where it's all right for people to say, I'm just, I'm just really, really struggling. And you'll get like masses of people um, coming to your aid. And I think it's the same with grief, actually. So when people die, you get this sudden activity where everyone sends cards, you know, you've got the first couple of weeks where everyone is asking you whether you're okay. But actually with grief, it's something that takes much longer. I mean, I don't know if it was the same for you, but when my mum died, I'd gone into, you know, hyper, I've got to organise everything. I organised the funeral. I was scanning the photos. I kept myself so busy that in that period where everyone was saying, are you okay? I actually wasn't even really thinking about my mum having died and it's yeah. it's months later, and that's often I think, especially for people that are um, in couples, and one of them dies, that's when their loneliness is likely to come in. You know, it's those months afterwards, and like I said, everyone's moved on. You know, they've done their bit, they've done their duty of well, I, I gave him a call, made sure he was all right, and then that person's on their own. And I think that's where, as a society, we need to be all, more aware of. Um, people's mental health isn't about having something public and open that someone's discussing we should all be capable of asking questions that draw out facts because I think especially for strong people it's just instinctive to say yes I'm fine because actually it's so much harder to explain well you know the reason I'm feeling like this is because of a multiple of things and I think especially for people that do carry a lot of responsibility there will be a lot of things in their life that they haven't addressed they've just thought you know what just get on move on and I, I think you know as a society I would like us all to be more aware that 
it doesn't matter what label you have on you as a person. Just asking questions will help you to work out where someone is. That's true. We, we, we kind of noticed in a very strange situation in 2020 with not being able to go to work, etc., and things shutting down that we never could have imagined. Like we always said, hairdressers and beauticians will always have a trade. Well, yeah. it's probably one of the latest, last trades going able to reopen. Do you think this time where we've been forced into a situation where our movement as individuals, etc., has been restricted, is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Really positive outcome for people that are addressing their, their situations and the yeah. negative outcome for those that are alone? I think it's it's hard, isn't it? Because I think, I mean, in life generally, you see a stark difference between people with a, pe- a positive mental attitude and those with a negative one. I think where we are at the moment, for potentially people that need time to think and to chill out, calm down, especially those with anxiety, this could be beneficial for them because it allows them time away from everyone else and the hustle and bustle um, and to take things at their own pace. Um, but there is the flip side of that, that if we're not busy, we're not doing things, then anxiety and obviously financial worries and all of yeah. that is going to tip the balance. So I think I think at the moment we've got possibly situations where people that would have been positive are really feeling restrictive. Um, you know, you can't go out. You can't you want to be an entrepreneur. You've got to be really clever at the moment to go out and sell a business, haven't you? Um, so yeah. I think everyone's feeling restricted. It's more of a level playing field, which makes it interesting, I think, from a psychology point of view. I agree with that. We've been, we've been talking about it in my household as a sociological experiment, and, and it is fascinating. Um, mm. Denise, one final little question. If you could find out for sure 100% what happened after your personal light switch out and you were departed from this world, would that make this conversation less heavy for you? Um, yeah, <laughs> I think if I if I knew if I knew that I was this was just part of my journey, um, yeah, I'd feel very differently about death. It's it's odd, really, because I think in my mum's final moments, I was I was giving her the hope that life goes on, and uh, maybe that was my hope. You know, maybe that's what I I want to feel and hope that that's my transition, whether there is or not. Maybe. That's what I would like in my final moments. Oh, you have to make sure you express that and let people yeah. know what you would like. That's another thing we don't talk about is what we personally would like at our end of life or in our funerals, in our send-offs and everything, although they are different now. Denise, actress and writer, thank you so much for taking time thank out you. with me. And um, I look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Thank you.